Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Halftime Orange Podcast with me, your host, Brenton Weber. Today I'm speaking with Adrian Brady Chisana um, from the CX Chronicles. Um, he's based in Buffalo in New York and we are going to explore the four CX pillars, um, the, the subject of his book um, and also um, his background in customer experience that goes way back before a time when there was even such a thing called customer experience. So with all of that in mind, I would like to introduce you to Adrian. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Halftime Orange podcast with me, Brenton Weber. Today I'm I'm joined by a wonderful gentleman from Buffalo in New York, um, Adrian Brady Chisana. Adrian, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hello, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it, sir. Uh, it's great to have you on the show. We uh, we spoke earlier in the week, and it was uh, it was one of those conversations that was just right. Okay, let's let's record this and explore some interesting <laughs> topics. I'm really excited to to be talking to you today. Absolutely. You've got your own podcast, which I'm hoping to to be on. That that which started this year. Tell us. Well, first of all, before we get to that, Adrian, tell I know a little bit about you, but why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure thing, Brenton. So, uh, uh, um, number one, I, I would say that I'm just a bit of a uh, a bit of an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial and startup uh, journeyman. I've spent pretty much my entire career, Brenton, working. Um, in a number of different startups and scallops and small businesses that I've that I that I've started, um, I've always been just kind of addicted to the the beginning phases of building a company, building a customer base, building a team. Essentially, man, like getting getting the kindling of the fire started and figuring out how to build a bigger and bigger, bigger bonfire. So I've had the the pleasure <laughs> of working um, in a number of different businesses in a number of different industries. I've spent uh, most recently, really, the last ten years, Brenton. I was uh, really, really privileged to spend. Um, time working in a number of different venture capital backed startup companies. Um, mm -hmm. And every single time, Brenton, I was the guy that was asked to really kind of think about building the customer experience strategy, the customer experience roadmap, and the customer experience facing team that needed to think about how they could build these incredible um, experiences and customer journeys for all of the different folks that we were working with. So, um, you know, the, the the quick, the really quick um, preamble. I spent some time building one of the one of the country's fastest growing floral subscription companies in H Bloom. Um, I spent time working as the head of customer experience at uh, a, a really really cool white glove Airbnb company called One Fine Stay, actually based out of London. Um, and I. And, and I got to spend time at, at a home healthcare technology called Home Team, building essentially technology that made it much easier for caregivers that were taking care of grandma and grand, grandma or mom and dad. If if you're if you're familiar with um, home care services, we yeah. are basically building a te technology that let people know how grandma and grandpa were doing every single solitary day in the home. And then and then most recently, I got to I get to I moved back to Buffalo after almost a decade in New York City, Brenton to. Uh, be a part of helping to build Buffalo, New York's first 
Unicorn, right? Uh, ACV Auctions. And I, and I had the pleasure of working with the team there at ACV Auctions for the past two years, really kind of thinking about how to build out their customer experience strategy and roadmap as they scale into the future um, towards uh, towards an initial public offering. So I, I've kind of had um, wow. some, some, some fun experiences getting to work in a number of different businesses. So, I mean, it, it almost seems like you've been involved in customer experience since before, certainly before most people knew that there was such a thing called customer experience. A- absolutely. I remember telling people in 2017 when I moved from loyalty into a customer experience voice of customer um, company and no one knew what CX was back then so you have seen some you've been like seeing the the equivalent of the spectrum 48k <laughs> of uh, um, you know the the, the early computers um, right the way through to the most advanced AI you must have seen quite an evolution in CX yeah, absolutely, man. I think, it, you know, it, on one part of it, it's absolutely right. Just like when I started my career, it was all about the phones, Brendan, right? It was all about taking care of customers on the phones and, you know, having awesome phone calls and making people feel like they were your buddy literally through the phone. You never met them, mm-hmm. all that fun stuff. Um, and then as, as things evolved, it became more about, you know, in, in the CX space, we, we talk all about whether you love it or you hate it. You talk about this whole omni-channel uh, approach, right? Being everywhere, talking to your customers everywhere, talking to your employees everywhere. Best companies in the world do it really naturally. Um, but as as I got on to more of these companies, you, you started getting into um, email and live chat and text messaging and, uh, and and you get into all of these other mediums. And now today, as social media has become a huge part of some of the some of the businesses that we're working with today at CX Chronicles, like, They've blown up, and now they have thousands of people that are trying to communicate with them on social as well. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, all of these different mediums. So it's really been fun to see the evolution of it. I think what's interesting is right now the best companies, in my opinion, they are they understand, number one, who their ICP is, who their ideal customer profile is. They understand which segments drive their business forward, and then – Brenton, they find out which mediums those people want to talk on, right? Mm-hmm. And the minute that you know who your ICP is or who your bread and butter client is, and you know that they prefer to talk on the telephone, you know they prefer to talk on email, whatever it might be, you hit them at that medium, right? And you give it to them exactly where they want it. So, so, so yeah, it's been fun to see that evolution for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great to be speaking to somebody who's been it's it's like I see almost customer experience. I'm, my my background is science. That's what I did at, at uni, um, and I see almost that customer experience has got this scientific aspect to it, where you've got the pure theorists that talk about the wonderful principles and uh, <laughs> um, and uh, and the theory behind it, and then you've got the applied scientists, the people that are actually applying it within organisations. Yeah, and um, at, but within the organisation as well, which uh, which gives you a lot more license than say somebody like I going into an organisation that has to win the win the license over. I mean, there must still be a lot of license winning. So, what has been? What do you think your secrets been to being able to um, implement successfully at these companies? What's been the what's been the driving factors? So, so Brendan, as I as I got into all of these different roles and all of these different businesses and, and really to be perfectly candid, work with some super, super incredibly smart, intelligent, dedicated, focused people that frankly taught me a lot about which potential paths are the best paths for taking care of specific customer sets in different businesses, right? With different strategies. And I think um, as I kind of spent more and more and more time in the space, this is sort of where the four CX pillars was born, Brendan. We talked about this the other day, but a big part of where 
um, where, where this methodology that myself and CX Chronicles, my business and, and our podcast, we get, we spend a ton of time talking about the four CX pillars, team, tools, process, and feedback. And to answer your question, Brenton, you know, obviously I didn't know, I didn't know what the four CX pillars were 10 years ago, but as I spent more and more time in different businesses with different teams and different customer bases, those four things became these major buckets in which I could really kind of put things uh, in a clean, simple to digest, easy to understand way. And then eventually, as I got a little bit further along with expanding the way that we use the four C exposures, you could even begin to quantify the stuff and you could start to calculate and measure how a business, how a team, or how even a department is doing across the four CX pillars. Um, and so, 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 so big part of why I was able to kind of jump around in a lot of different spaces and touch sales, touch ops, touch product, uh, touch, touch, touch analytics or, or, or touch your data science, right? Um, it was because, a big part of what I was doing at any given time was working with our team or working with the business to understand, here's what our customers think about our team. Here's what our customers think about our tool set, both internally and externally that we offered them because they could feel the stuff, right? Customers can always tell when a customer's got a great tool set or a, or, or a subpar tool set. Uh, processes, when you're talking about venture capital-backed startups, or you're talking about building companies from, from Zilch or from an idea from the back of a, of a napkin, processes like your, your customers, especially your early adopter customers, they're thrilled to give you ideas for what the optimal process mm -hmm. should be, right? Mm -hmm. and, 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 and most of these, most startups typically are really, really bad at just simply documenting what those processes should look like internally, externally. Better yet, share them. Share them so that your employees know exactly what the expectations are. Share them so that your, your customers know exactly what those expectations are. Um, but process is, is a huge one. And then last, lastly, it's the feedback. And I think this is probably the biggest part to answer your question of why you're able to, in a CX role at some of these companies where you can literally bounce around the entire playing field, feedback's the main reason why, Brenton, right? You're going to get feedback um, on pre-sale. So that's your, your your sales and your marketing efforts. You're going to get feedback on conversion. That's your onboarding, your implementation teams. You're going to get feedback on your retention aspects. That's probably your account managers or your customer loyalists, whatever you call it at your business. And then lastly, the, 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 the loyalty piece, right? When you get to make an army of uh, you know, uh, um, awesome customers that love your business, love your team, love working with you, and they want to shout it from the top of the roof, rooftops, that that's the whole loyalty piece. And as you start getting good at capturing, helping a business or helping uh, a business owner understand how to capture feedback along those different parts of the customer journey, now people are going to listen to you. And especially if you can begin to quantify what that looks like, whether it's through number of responses, whether it's through NPS, CSAT, product set, user experience scoring, whatever you want to, whatever, whatever way you want to measure this. Now, now you're in a position where you can really make a big impact and you can show any executive team and any, any management team where the prime areas of opportunity lie. Absolutely. I, I really like these four pillars that you've, that you've, uh, that's part of your systems. Um, feedback's so important. I mean, I see customer insight as being the lifeblood of future growth of companies. Like without the insight of what your customers feel about your teams, about your tools, about your processes, it is so important. And a lot of, a lot of the early efforts that I think companies should be making is to try and, I, try and realize an ROI around some of those insights. So that I, like I wonder how many customer insight teams out there with a very expensive voice of customer platform actually i think most people look at it as a capital investment 
capex. Yeah. Yep. And, that, and that's that's a bloody expensive capex. Yeah. You know, like you're a you're a you're a um a, a telco company, and you're you're spending, and this is New Zealand money, so we're talking, you know, a much smaller economy. So I'm sure it's far more expensive for a, for a US telco, but half a million dollars for a piece of software that there's no ROI associated with yet. After how many years? That's 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 a that's a that's that's an interesting situation that, that many companies find themselves in. And it's why they're not getting the support, I imagine. I think I think you're absolutely right. And I think that to be honest, I think you know, Brenton, a lot of people would be surprised, but it's amazing how many successful companies aren't really good at building out or managing or actually taking the time to build upon some of the voice of customer efforts that they're already doing. So maybe they are collecting feedback, but it's amazing how many businesses that are killing it. They're crushing gold. They're signing up new customers month over month. You, you see them in the news. You see them in the articles. So many of these companies, they've never taken the time to actually take a look at over the last 90 days, what are the top three things that your businesses love about you? What are the top three things that your customers um, are on the fence with you about? What are the top three things that your customers hate about you or become immediate detractors about your business around? Um, now, some companies, don't get me wrong, some companies are, are really good at using this. But you know, the longer I've spent in the customer experience space and the more um, the more conversations that I have every single solitary day of my life talking to other potential uh, customers or other CXers mm. or other people that are yeah, building yeah. awesome customer experience at these big, huge companies, it's amazing how far we still have to go. And I know that part of what you and I were talking about the other day, that's why we're excited for the future. That's why we're super excited for our businesses because we know there's a huge opportunity in front of us, right? This this customer experience optimization space is going, it's exploding right now. And for businesses to take the time to think about that feedback and how to work on that feedback and then how to follow up on the feedback, those are going to be the companies that are going to crush it post-COVID. Yes, well, and and who are already are. We had a we had a guy on a podcast that's about to be released, Tony Boda, another uh, another wonderful American um, gentleman um, from Nashville, and we were having a chat. He introduced me to a book called Profit. Uh, oh, his book's called Profitability. <laughs> I wish I've, I've got the I've, I've written the wrong book down. He I will get it from him. But there's this book that talks about um, the the five different types of economies. Okay. Um, and we were coming it to the end of the 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 twenty tens. We we knew, and we were you and I and our fellow peers were talking about us entering the experience economy, and we we were we were trying to get companies to understand that they yeah. needed to ex, uh, to transform into that space. Well, well, Tony argues that the COVID period has accelerated the needs of customers into the next economic sec section, which was supposedly in 2025, called the transformation economy, where we go from making our decisions and our business, our, our purchasing decisions and the products and services that we give our loyalty to, instead of it being based on the experience, which will still remain important because it's level of expectation but it's moving into the products and services that help us transform ourselves 
because we're facing all of these problems in our lives and challenges, it's forcing the whole world to problem solve and become more transformational in its thinking, which means, I don't know about you, but if I look at my last three major purchases, I was really outcome focused, probably more so than the three biggest purchases that I would have made last year. Yep. I think, I think that first things first, onto the transformation piece, there's another huge part right now, Brenton, which is like, so that was already becoming uh, a, a, a major emerging opportunity type of space, right? That was already becoming a thing that people were talking about. People were pushing executives towards thinking about how they needed to get their businesses to that transformative state. Now, with the last seven months and with COVID and what, what we were just chatting about before before today's recording, I think even more so you have a, you have a, a very interesting situation going on right now. You've got customers who absolutely want transformative type of experiences where not only are they going to get all of the things that were promised in the expectation setting, but it um, there's there's this piece of the experience curation has to be it's different right now. So many of us are locked onto this right now. We're we're stuck in a in a very different type of place where we don't have some of the physical um, experience opportunities that we had just seven months ago. So that's one thing. But here's the second thing. I was going to say, I was just going to say, because we're stuck in this type of an environment and sorry for our listeners on the auto podcast, I'm saying being in this zoom environment, right? Me, me and Brenton right now are looking at each other and we're, 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 we're going back and forth, but we also, Brenton, this is the first time the consumers literally mm-hmm. can search mm-hmm. 10 different ways before they click buy. Think about it before you, if you were, if you were going to school or you were going to your office or you were going to your, your team, you know, exercise, whatever the hell it might be. <laughs> things were busy. You had this whole other piece of life consuming your time, your concern, your worry, your brain, the way that you used or consumed your brain's uh, additional bandwidth. Now it's a little bit different. Sorry, but in between, even though we're all primarily on Zoom calls most of the day for those of us that are fortunate to be busy right now, you've got all this downward time where you can actually search, you can look at reviews, you can understand trends in the, just go to any of your favorite brands that that, 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 that you could think of and just look at reviews, right? And, and you start to see Consumers now have this whole other piece getting baked into the buying process. So I really don't care what your business or what your space is. Now more than ever, there's a different level of vetting that's going to happen on the consuming side. And this is why businesses have to be like not only thinking about all of the stuff pre-sale and marketing and awareness, but but you're literally having to show the how many perfect experiences you've curated post-sale just to get people to even think about going along with the initial betting process. So it's a really, really interesting time, man. It's a very yeah. interesting time. Well, I think if you – like, I would I would challenge that the companies that are doing really well at the moment to a brand were companies that had already started to embrace the fact that they were in the experience economy. So they're already in a position where they understand their customers way more than their competitors who don't. Um, and so they're able to – pivot, to change, to transform around those changing needs. Whereas those companies that we were talking to, a, a UK recruitment consultant whose specific focus is retail technology. And retail in has, of course, just gone through a revolution overnight. Um, and you've got companies like Primark um, in the UK that didn't even have a website at the start of covid and were playing catch-up so much that they were losing. I don't even want to say the numbers that I think they were losing. People should have a look it up. I mean, I want – yeah. 
we should have a look it up. We should do a Ro- Joe Rogan thing where we check up. We check up how much. Uh, how much they <laughs> lost? Yeah, I like it. Fact check it. <laughs> Prime mark losses due to COVID. Yeah, our, our prosumer aspect has just been. Even grandmas are prosumer now. Yeah, everybody's online. Every people who didn't even know that there were there were reviews, or even if you knew that there were reviews, and your buying process wasn't predominantly in a digital environment. I don't, I don't think I took as much notice of reviews last year. I, I think that, you know, I've, it's funny. Um, since starting CX Chronicles, the one thing that I've jokingly always said to people is customer reviews are basically like a modern form of currency for a business because if, if businesses know how to use reviews appropriately, you can get so much gain out of it. It's not funny. If a, if a, if a new potential customer who doesn't know your business, doesn't know your product, doesn't know your service, can look at 10 of his or her competitors or 10 of his or her um, uh, comparable profiles, right? And they see 10 out of 10 people saying, thumbs up, five star, great experience. I've already reused them multiple times. They start to see those types of things they're initially it's it's almost like the last part of betting through that conversion process and i think that the, the one thing that struck me yesterday was the responses were super important to me like we we're um we're planning a it's lucky to be in new zealand and to be able to travel but we're planning a bit of a boys couple of days playing golf okay okay um, i'm jealous golf i'm very year. jealous uh, yeah yeah no you should be it's gonna be great <laughs> And we um we we were looking for these you know we want to play the best courses that we can while we're in the areas, and there was one course that had a terrible review, and um, the response was so clear, so concise. It was clear that this person was probably trying to cause a bit of bother. You know, it was so they were accusing them of having dead birds all over the course and stuff oh, wow. like that. It was wow. really really weird yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. But the way that the, the the social media manager of that golf course replied to it, it was just so – it made us want to go even more. So it's so important that not only from the the the, the, the way that um, your prosumer consumer is um, reviewing your site, but they're also watching how you interact with people. Absolutely. You're getting – you literally get a sneak peek – at what post-sale experience is going to look like simply by taking 30 seconds yeah. to read three yeah. reviews pre-sale. <laughs> and it's the, yeah. first, it's the first time in the, in the, in the world where it's literally right here, man, Brent, it's right on our fingertips right now. It's, 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 it's in your pocket. If it's on, if it's on your iPhone, right? It's like, it's so simple to look at these things. And I think that that's why uh, going back to your point about tra- the, the transformation type of, um, era that we're coming upon or experience or better yet slamming those two things together. Cause I think this is going to be, I think the next 10, 15, 20 years of where the companies that are able to play voice of customer or uh, megaphone to customer the best are going to be the ones that, that are going to dominate. And I think that um, it's where you create stickiness. It's where you, it's where you create that reoccurring buying um, power that we both know is so, so valuable in any business. It makes businesses 10 times more valuable in some cases, literally. Um, and, and then lastly, habitual. We already know that uh, humans are, we're creatures of habit, man. So the minute that you can get somebody kind of in the, in the, in the circle of just kind of going with the company, having a relatively positive experience, 
do it again. Have a relatively decent experience, do it again. We want to be loyal. Absolutely. We crave loyalty. Yep. We've still got the same neuroscience, uh, neuroscience in our brains as that we did when we were, you know, drawing on cave walls. Yeah. It's still it's still the same things that, that we want from life. We want safety. You know, the, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, yeah. It's in yep. every yep. it's it's been it's been a part of our psyche right the way through. So those companies that can provide the reason why loyalty is on the slide is not because we're becoming more promiscuous. It's becoming it's harder and harder to find a ship for a, a ship that we want to sail on for a long time. That's right. It's, if we're not treated like we are valuable, a- absolutely, hundred percent, come away feeling a little stink about us giving our hard-earned money or our hard-earned time, our most valuable of resource, the one that we can't earn any more of, that it's literally just like that's why empl- I think that's why employee engagement needs to be I mean it is part of we all know as customer experience specialists. But I still think that there's a siloing of EX and CX. And that that siloing, there we go. We've gone to it. What you were talking about before um it was it was when all of those things there, those four um, topics, when they're siloed, when you've got that siloed feedback, how many of those voice of customer platforms are pet projects of leaders, but they're not seen as the true value that they are because of that, that ROI. And, and so it must have been so interesting to work in organisations where you had that leadership support. That must have given you such licence to to do what you wanted to do. Well, you know, I, I think at number one, absolutely. But number two, I think what's interesting about the venture capital startup land is that you don't have a choice, Brenton, right? If you're not, if you're not getting excellent understanding of who your ICP or say, or, or, or let's say that you maybe have a variety of customer segments that theoretically could be excellent for your product or for your service, or for your marketplace, but then you, but then you start to get good at minimally being able to quantify who who are the A's versus the B's versus the C's or 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 the the platinums, the golds, the silvers, the bronze, however your company wants to call, talk about it. And I know a lot of executives like to say, "Hey, easy, every customer is equally valuable." That's not true at all. That's just simply not true. You and I both know that there's going to be for for the for the for the best of ICPs. Theoretically, you can build huge wildly profitable companies on simply focusing on just the a profile to start and then you move on to the b and then you move on to the c or better yet by the time you get to b's and c's you've already built products that are prime for the b's and the c's because they're variations of what you built originally for the a's so it's a long-winded way of saying you know in the venture capital world every cohort of customers that you onboard every cohort of customers that you sign up right and, and and obviously in the startup game that's a big part of the of the metrics right how many people did you sign up this month how many people did you get signed up this quarter how how much revenue did you bring on that was related to that number of customers um i think what what what, what startups have gotten much better at is they fine tune and they dial in to who those icps or who those a those A plus uh, customer segments are, and then you try to do rinse, wash, and repeat, and do more of it. I think the other big thing is this: I think in general, business owners and business executives have gotten better at cutting the fat faster. So the minute you can identify that there's a certain segment or a certain uh, part of your customer population that you are spending a lot of time, money, energy, right dollars, just bringing them in just to have a bad or a poor experience. Don't do that. You're you're just creating a bigger army of detractors. 
And and now going back to what you, I'm super pumped that you already got into this, Brendan. Then you get into the employee experience side of it. Now it's that's where you start to agitate a lot of folks because uh, your employees really are in a position where when we were talking about reviews just a few minutes ago, you want the easiest way of getting your top ten reviews. Walk down the hallway <laughs> in your business, find whomever, whichever guy or gal talks to the most customers a day, pull them out of their chair for ten for ten minutes. And ask them about the top three things that customers love about you, the top three things customers hate about you, and you are going to get a diatribe. They're going to know everything. They're literally going to – so you don't even have to go read that report. They already know it in their head, which is why you're right, man. EX finally has become this other emerging variable of value where why wouldn't you also be taking the time to pull your employees, see what they think, under quantify it though. This is the, this is the thing, Brent. Now, I think where a lot of businesses have a hard time is – yeah, the conversation and walking the walking the aisle or walking the floor is helpful, but begin to quantify it. Begin to count what they mean by the things that they're telling you. Begin to understand the difference between um, like a common cause and a special cause. Common cause is the thing that eighty percent of the customers are feeling. Special cause is that one uh, that one uh, customer who just likes to give you a, a hard. It's your golf. It's your golf course example. It's the one guy who wants to tell you about all the dead raccoons and birds on the course. When in reality, it's like a beautifully fine eighteen-hole track, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so those are some things that I think in 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 the startup world that has definitely been a pleasure. Um, I think though, it's it's. It's a question about the startup world. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. No worries. But we asked this for somebody who is very um, involved in the investment side of of startups. A guy called Sam Kamani, and I asked him the question: How many startups that he comes into contact with? Not who he invests in, but who comes into contact with? Does he think truly understands? the outcome, the customer outcome, that their product, their new invention, their new great idea is actually delivering. Because that's we talked about the evolution of CX before, and I think one of the most interesting evolutions of CX is how we've gone from it being that definition of CX where it was every thought, feeling, and emotion um, from when you start interacting with a company to when you finish interacting with a company, which is when you think about it a relatively company-centric way. It's imagining that we buy a hammer to buy a hammer as opposed to we're buying a hammer to efficiently build something. Um, so it's the outcome. And so when we start looking at the actual outcome and then the whole toolbox that they might need to build their shed, then all of a sudden we can start seeing where other pain points are in the journey. And we can, that's where I'm seeing a lot of companies really start to understand where their, where their product or service really fits into a CX ecosystem. You know, if I know that I want to collaborate better with my virtual team around the, the world, well, I was looking for a collaborative tool. Sharp were able to deliver that, but that was all down to the overall outcome as opposed to, I think last year I would have been buying it more as a toy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would have been a really nice toy with some really good applications. Whereas this year, so so I think the company, and they sold it to me on that. You know, we we didn't talk about really the technology behind it whatsoever. I didn't really know what I was buying in the way of um, I knew the size of it, but that was about it. It was just more what could this do? What what are the outcomes that this could help me deliver upon? Uh, you know, I think, Brent, for, for folks that 
either don't see the value in customer journey mapping or think it's just, you know, whatever, think it's a waste of time or just think it's um, folks like you and I that are trying to help businesses get better customer experience, better employee experience. For the folks that, that, that want to undermine that, I, I think that number one, now you just nailed it, brother, where it's like now more than ever, if you don't understand what the whole purpose of that journey map is all about, and it gets you to the answer, use your hammer example, right? If, if the whole point of being in a hammer business is to provide builders with the tool that they can go do anything that they'd like, right? And then you map that entire journey out. I, I, I think here's the big part. Here's where you got to get the, this is where you're going to get the executives here. And this is where you're going to actually get yeah, the yeah, yeah. Tell us about that. to understand That's sort what of. We need. That's what everybody needs, you, that executive support. You have to tie it to some of the major key performance indicators or performance metrics that drive the things that matter in your business. Now, you got to take a second to think about what are some of the things that matter in your business, right? If you're a widget company and you're building things, you probably care about production measures and how many units and what's the cost of the units and how many people do you need to do X number of units and all those fun things. If you are a, a SaaS company, how many new customers did we sign up this week that are going to stick with us for 18 months, 24 months, 36 months? What's the LTV look like on that, right? And then if you're if you're in the construction business, how many homes did you build? But my but my, my point is take your business and, 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 and think about how when you're doing the customer journey mapping and you're thinking what well, one of the big things that we do at CX Chronicles, Brenton, is we help folks break down the major buckets of customer journey maps. So awareness, consideration, conversion onboarding, account management, and customer loyalty, okay? And this is, and frankly, yeah, you can get folks like Brenton and myself to come help your business do this, but you can also take a first pass on your own literally on Monday morning with your team, and you're probably going to get a pretty darn good start. But once you get that all laid out, right, and then you start to apply the actual KPIs and metrics that matter to your business, that is how you get the executive buy-in. That's how you get executive uh, ears to start to, 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 to bend. And most importantly, then you got to evolve that, right? The, the faster you can figure out how to correlate those metrics or correlate those performance points to the bottom line, to growth of sales, to the reduction of CAC or customer acquisition costs, whatever whatever the hell you're tracking, now, now people are listening to you. And now people actually want to know, hey, what, what were the numbers this week? Hey, what were, what were our journey uh, KPIs in that one bucket that we talked about last Wednesday? And then then you start to catch people's ears. And now it becomes something that they want just to be able to understand and keep a pulse on how the business is evolving week over week. Yeah, I think it's really important to try and find short-term metrics as well that you can prove via, I think sometimes, and I think I've, covered, I think I've spoken about this before, um, on, on, another, um, on another show, but it's, it's really important to, be able to predict like it's we spend a lot of time linking our efforts yep. to growth yep but where the real power comes is when you say we're going to do this and this is the growth that we're going to get big time big time and then all of a sudden oh wow it's, it's predictable it's measurable yeah you know it's, it's that whole smart idea you know that we've done in i've done in 20, 30,000 business <laughs> training sessions, right. you know, smart goals. Yeah. It really is. It needs to be um, predictable and it needs to be measurable. And and I do think that we've, as a, as a, we sometimes make it a little harder for ourselves. I know that I've made it harder for myself sometimes where I've tried to link activity to lifetime value. And that's a long game. <laughs> it's yeah, quite yeah. It's quite easy to lose executive support over a long game. But yes, it is. You need those short, you need those short proof of concepts. You know, like anything, 
you know those those a, a little sprint run how can you uh, how can you create some value that you can show leadership with one insight that you can like customer here's a question how much insight are we getting from a lot of our customer insight teams and tools i.e what i mean is how insightful are numbers yep yep I, I think, look, I think, Brenton, it's, it's, it's a huge part of it is about exactly what you just said. And I think the other piece, too, is just you're right. You need to be flexible. At the same time, you have to be flexible. You're, there's not necessarily you're not going to get a lot of a lot of executive support or buy in if you're concrete on some of the stuff. You do need to be pliable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to be malleable. Yes. You need to be open to what some of these things look like. I think the other thing, too, is the reality is some of the best executives in the world, specifically sales focused revenue executives. Part of the reason why they make the big bucks and part of the reason why they're running some of these companies is because they literally see things that nobody in that business sees besides them. And what they're looking at, nobody can see it and they look like they're the crazy naked emperor for a while, right? But like the reality is they're looking at something that they know is going to be there in the in the future. So building towards it and 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 doing the research and the development that will get you there at that time. You know, um, in yeah, finding those legacy driven thinkers who want to leave something behind is so so important. If you're looking for, uh, and I think it's important to have a, a like to look for further support outside of the teams. Big time. I mean, that's how you break down that siloing as well. Big time. When you start linking what you're doing with other supporters and other departments, when you can start linking your ROIs to what they're trying to achieve. Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. You know, my, my, for my Canadian, my Canadian friends, we're close. I'm close to Canada here in Buffalo, Brenton. So yeah, so we're, you are we're big, we're big, very close to Niagara. <laughs> big hot. Oh, Buffalo is Buffalo's 20 minutes from the falls right now. Right. But what one of what of our a lot of our Canadian friends say is the reason why Wayne Gretzky was the best hockey player in the world. You know why it was? He knew where the puck was going to be before anybody else in the ice did, and that's why he had more goals and more assists than anyone. So when you convert that back into the yeah, business, right. into the business world, it's so true. Working across team, being collaborative, being able to bridge silos. Silos are going to be in big businesses, whether you like it or not. Bridge builders are are the power players, in my opinion, in large organizations that understand how they can literally bridge or um, bungee connective tissue together from silo to silo to silo. They can try to share information. They can share best practices. They can share what's working, what's not working. Um, And then they become valuable because they're insightful and they're providing all of these these extra hues and these extra color tones that help other people in the organization do their jobs better. Right. And that's, that's another, another excellent place to be. I I fully agree. I think a customer insights team or the voice of customer team or the CX team, they should almost be, and Hey, you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not saying I'm this, I don't think the sun shines out of my whatever, but the the (laughs) customer insights team should be the sun radiating customer insights throughout the organization that can be used to improve, to transform to deliver a better service, a better product, a better outcome to customers. Um, and, and if they're doing that and they can, they can, they're, 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 they're radiating throughout every single department, then soon their value will be, uh, will be realized, you know, if they are, if they are struggling. But I, I do think it's about mining the comments, like the numbers is, I, I, I think sometimes we've become too metric obsessed. We, we talked right at the beginning of the show um, and it, about the, the ones that use the data mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to those that don't. So there was an Adobe study yep. where they looked at, you know, this massive industry with 
companies all over the place investing significant money in voice of customer platforms. Only 11% of those companies that they spoke to were actually saying that they were collecting verbatim insights that were being used throughout the organization. That's 89% were not. The 11% that were, were growing 10 times faster. Wow. Than yep. those that yep. were just following the numbers. Sure. So my question is, how do we as businesses and collect better verbatim comments when, let's face it, I don't really enjoy. I enjoy doing surveys for professional reasons, but if I put my customer hat on, I'm pretty disenchanted with voice of customer. Yeah, I think a couple of things. So okay, so first of all, awesome, awesome points here, and, I, and I'm, I'm pumped that we're getting into this. I think. One of the biggest issues that that I've seen in my experiences with the way that different businesses think about constructing their voice of customer efforts or their voice of customer reporting or their voice of customer task force and whatever the hell it is, right? Whatever they call it. It's it's similar. I, I use this analogy with teams all the time, Breton. It's basically like the six o'clock news. You So the six o'clock news is this thing that, you number one, you know exactly when it's going to happen every single day, right? You also have a pretty good sense of who's going to cover the national news, who's going to cover the international news, who's the weatherman, who's the sportswoman, and who's the local person, right? So you already kind of already have an understanding of who the uh, the players in this whole play are going to look like, right? And then you literally have those sections that I just talked about. What I think most companies do a very poor job of doing is some people only watch the six o'clock news. To know what's happening with the Buffalo Bills. Some yeah. people only watch the yeah. six o'clock news yeah. to, to know if it's snowing in Buffalo, right? Some people watch the six o'clock news because they want to know what's happening with COVID numbers today in America. So my point is right off the bat, you gotta understand and you gotta be thinking about who are the primary users of this information or of this reporting or of these findings or of this feedback. That's number one. Um then I think once you once you get that slated out, because my whole that's the long-winded way of saying you got to make sure that you're presenting information that people even care about, right? Yeah, if you're responsible so true. So for the true. sports section, report on all the good things that are happening with sports. If you're responsible for the news, report on all the things that are important with news. Um, here's the second piece. I think that there are um there's six major areas that I think companies don't always get. And I think a lot of times, Brent, that's where people like you and I come into play or other other experienced CXers come into play because we've seen how you think about these, these six buckets that I'm going to talk about. But you need to be thinking about how you detect feedback, how you disseminate the feedback, right? Whether this is bucketing or tagging or creating additional tranches for how you categorize that information, how you diagnose the feedback. So what does it actually mean? Again, common cause or special cause? Is this one in a million or is this 80% of a million? We got to think about this because this is going to have an impact. Um, discussion, right? So some companies are awesome at collecting the damn feedback and then they never get back to the customer with even a thank you, let alone oh, a Brent or an Adrian so popping onto a, it's right. And some companies, it's like, why are you going to ask for it if you're not going to do anything? If you're not even going to say thank you, you're not going to have Brent or Adrian follow up and say, customer, thank you so much for all this great feedback. So, so the discussion, and by the way, that's where some of the best companies in the world that have killed it with CX, that discussion equals further stickiness, equals further loyalty, equals they literally, be, that brand starts to feel like a friend, not a company that they pay money to. And yeah. then that's where it's I mean, like, that's not hundred percent. And that's um, even more so now in 2020, because we know how valuable we are. We, 
we 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 know that we should be being um, looked after properly. Yes. If we give our hard-earned resources or our most precious resource, then we damn well expect to come away a little bit better for it, or at least not worse for it, not feeling a little bit. Um, it's a, so those companies that were delivering bad experiences before, they may have even been delivering good outcomes um, or average outcomes. Now they're really struggling because we've got this building expectation to be treated like we actually matter. Those customer-centric companies are making it harder as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's where the, the, the last two buckets come into huge play and their design and deployment because think about it, once the minute that you start to take some of this customer feedback and you literally inject it directly into design, so whether that's design across team, design across tools, design across process, or even design across feedback, right? I love One of my favorite feedback points is, hey, I love what you guys are doing and I'm glad that you always ask for my help, but man, this is literally the, this is the sixth month in a row. Can you maybe just set me to like a quarterly feedback setting? And so you're literally getting somebody who's a promoter. They love you. They think you're great. But they're even giving you design consultation on how to do your feedback section. It's, it's, I mean, I love that. Don't get me wrong. That's helpful. You can set, set that cadence to a different tone. But then the deployment piece too. So the deployment piece is what I would argue, Britain, most companies are terrible at this in my opinion. And deployment is a simple, hey, customer, you told us these things. This is what our business focused on this quarter for you. And just, just do it. A couple times a year, man. You could do it one time a year as a business. If you're a small business, literally once a year. Hey, hey guys, here's Jan- here's our January kickoff. Here's all the feedback you gave to us in 2020. Here's the things that we're going to focus on in 2021. Thanks so much for your service, uh, for your your support and being a customer. People yeah. love that stuff. They yeah, love and I think that even works at those. I think that works even more at those um, high value, low volume clients where you can have totally. a yeah. you can have a check in once a year. That's how you find out about your customers' changing needs. Um, you show that you care. Um, you show that they're important. You show that you're invested in their future outcomes as well and that you're altering your business depending on it or even why you're not you know if people are people people conversations we love conversations i think conversations have taken a big um positive this year i mean i'm having conversations with what with people from all over the world that i a year ago i don't think that the borders would have been quite so so porous as they yeah. are today. so I companies know. need to need to we want to speak. It's weird how digital conversations are going up, but completion rates of surveys are going down. <laughs> it's going to be, hey, people, <laughs> especially after these seven months, people are going to want to talk like this, Brent. People are literally going to want to pop onto a video chat with their customer service rep and have five minutes straight with the face. That's what's going to, it's, it's going to be interesting to see where all of these needs and these customer preferences are going to slide about just because of the last seven months. We're, talk, we're talking in the next couple of days to a awesome bloke who's come up with this virtual retail environment and um you know tapping into the needs of those that they really want to be in a in a in a in a physical space but they obviously can't so he's created these virtual environments that have also now unlocked a whole range of industries that you know before they all they could afford was a big warehouse they couldn't afford a flash um beautiful retail environment but now they've got the ability to do this so i mean the Going back to that transformation economy, he honestly believes that we're now at where, like if companies were planning to be somewhere in 2025, 
well, then they've probably already transformed there by now. This year has seen five years of improvement. Absolutely. So the idea now is if you if you didn't know where you were going to be in 2025, you've now got to think about where you're going to be in 2030. Yeah, yep. You know, the, 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 it's going to get faster. There's going to be more solutions that unlock better and better um, and easier and more convenient customer experiences. Absolutely. Totally agree, man. And I, and I think on the EX part too, man, there's – COVID is causing one of the largest talent migrations that the world has ever seen. And companies out there who before just maybe even literally maybe even 12 months ago or 18 months ago could just pay for the talent that they wanted and, and the benefits that they needed to give to get to acquire that talent. Now you're going to see some of the best talent in the world. They're going to have they're going to have different expectations similar to that of a customer mindset. You're going to, you're almost going to look, you're going to, there's a few things you're going to look at. You're going to look at comp. You're going to look at benefits. You're going to look at work from home. Uh, adaptability. Oh, what, do you make, what do you make of the, uh, I'm seeing quite a lot of companies entertain, not, not in New Zealand, thank goodness, but I'm seeing it on the international press. A lot of talk about how people should be covering their own costs when they're working from home and there should be, um, they should be taxed accordingly. And it's all to save the companies that they're giving their most precious resource to so that they can make an even bigger profit. It just seems that kind that that greed is good mentality, I'm not sure is got that much time left in on there's no planet. there's no way because I was just gonna say what some of the some of the folks that I've chatted with who've had the benefit of maybe removing themselves from five or 10 year leases in Manhattan and San Francisco and Tampa Bay and Dallas, Texas. These people have just found a tremendous amount of new money and new profits to play with. So I think companies that are going to be that greedy or executive teams that are going to not kind of be able to share some of the wealth or share some of that new gained fines for the business in terms of being able to improve because of this this terrible this terrible pandemic. No, I, I don't think that people will have much tolerance for that. Mate, all we've, we've got companies here in New Zealand that were beloved brands that literally lost social license because they wow. were making more money this year and they yeah. were making layoffs. That's crazy. Bl and blaming it on COVID. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Just like Come on, guys. I mean, what are you doing? That's not looking after shareholder experience. Not at all. This, not this, at this all. This is, what, this is what I don't get. It's like why the why certain people at the top of companies think there's some kind of trade-off between customer experience and profitability. It's just – I think there's quite a lot of leaders who are very short-termists. Like I agreed, with you, I agreed with you earlier that it's awesome when you find those people that want to leave a legacy um, who aren't – just focusing on the exit plan. Yes. You know, I think they're the ones that really get it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, good luck to them. And, yeah, hey, <laughs> good luck to uh, – and if, and if any of you need a little bit more than luck, I'm sure that both myself and Adrian would love you to reach out to us <laughs> as well. I don't, I don't actually like to work with you, Adrian, because we've got some interesting um, principles. That just They flow so nicely in with your six buckets and the, the four pillars that you were talking about. Um, before I let you go, um, a little bit about the podcast. How's that been going this year? So, yeah, absolutely. So, Brent, thanks so much for letting me share that. So, uh, CX Chronicles podcast, um, we have been at it for um, for a few years now, my friend. We just actually recently celebrated our 100th episode. So, I think Ooh, this past week we just posted epic. 103. Yeah, so we're, we're humming along nicely. We've got uh, 
incredible customer-focused business leaders from across the world that come onto the show. They talk about their, their own personal journeys. They talk about their teams. They talk about their businesses. And specifically, they get into the weeds on the 4CX pillar. So easy, awesome way to kind of hear how some of these people are thinking about it, hear where they're investing their money, hearing what types of people are leading these teams. A big part of our of our listenership, Brenton, it's really uh, startup founders, it's entrepreneurs, it's small business owners. And then, and then specifically, it's a bunch of awesome CXers. It's people that are really uh, leading, managing, and scaling today's uh, American startup scene, frankly. So we've got a lot of VPs of CX, directors of CX, customer experience managers, all these awesome folks that are literally building tomorrow's Ubers and Lyfts and Airbnbs and trying to think about ways that you can just have kick-ass customer experience to grow your business. So it's uh, it's been a ton of fun. We're always looking for awesome new guests and, and we're always looking for new uh, listeners. Um, and uh, it's been a fantastic way, just to, as you said, Brendan, it's been a fantastic way to meet awesome new people like you and, 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 and build new relationships and find new uh, customers and find new people that are interested in, in finding uh, content sources like what the CX Chronicles uh, produces each week. It's great, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful how it's? I've, I've one of the one of the unexpected benefits of podcasting has just been the enrichment of my thinking. Speaking with so many like-minded, I think you know people that I've, I've generally found are very like-minded, but coming in from different angles, it's been it's it's yeah, it's a real thrill to explore those conversations. Um, and so I wanted to to thank you for today. Um, it was so good to talk to you. I'm gonna stop now because we are trying desperately to. Um, not go over the hour. We started a little <laughs> bit late. Because, um, I spilled an orange drink all over myself as we started. So we, I don't want to keep Adrian too long. But Adrian, thank you so much for being on the show. For those that would love to reach out to you, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Absolutely. So, Brendan, number one, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I always love getting on chatting with other awesome CXers like you. Check us out at cxchronicles.com. Uh, feel free to look me up on LinkedIn, obviously super active on LinkedIn, Adrian Brady Chisana. And um, feel free to check out our new book on Amazon. So just just search the four CX pillars to grow your business and and, and our playbook for CX success will pop up right there on Amazon. On Amazon. But hey, thanks so did, much, Brendan. No, we've still got a couple of minutes because that's not fair of me. Tell us about the book just a little bit more because <laughs> you've covered it in the thing. But come on, we're – Wait, you, you've given me, <laughs> me time. Let's give you some promotional time as well. No, okay. So, so, so long story short, I mean, it was just really um, the elevator pitch that I shared with you guys at the beginning of this podcast, just working. It's about my experiences working in New York City at all these different venture capital-backed startups. Um, it's about how I began to see the trends around the commonalities of some of the major uh, best practices around team, best practices around tool assessment and toolkit management. Uh, process optimization is huge, guys. If you're startup or scale-up founders or executives, you just trust me, you can literally increase your return and increase the value of your business by taking a little bit of time and looking at this one space in your business a little bit sooner. It's how you hire better. It's how you hire faster. It's how you increase retention. It's how you increase satisfaction, I promise you. Um, and then the feedback Terrible piece. secret in our industry, isn't it? It's like, actually, <laughs> yeah. um, if you go and buy a book and read it, you probably don't need to talk to me for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, look, I, I tried to put it all in there for you, and obviously, have a little bit of fun with it. But it's uh, it's definitely just been a great way of getting some of the stuff out of out of the head too, Brenton, and really just putting it out there for other younger, up and coming CXers. Man, there was none of the stuff when I was coming up the ladder. So I'm just a lot of it's just trying to give back and 
put some stuff out there that hopefully some young CXers can take and they can run with it and it makes their journey a whole hell of a lot easier than mine. Well, I'm, I'm going to make sure that I read that book. I'm going to be going on to Amazon. We'll leave the um, uh, links in the notes So um, and, and also how to um, find CX Chronicles and to get in contact with Adrian. But, Adrian, thank you so much again, thank sir. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. And, uh, I'll, I'll my pleasure. To, I look forward to um, being um, on your show in the next Yes, sir. So, You're coming yeah, on in the next in the upcoming week, so we're looking yeah. forward to getting you over. Yeah, that's so exciting. <laughs> so, look, thank you again, and have a wonderful day and the rest of your day where you are. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brent. Pleasure being on the show, sir. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for listening today. I hope you got some really solid value out of the conversation. If you did get some value, please consider subscribing using any of the links below. We are on all major podcast platforms. And feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or via our website, www.halftimeorange.co.nz. Look forward to speaking with you next time.